Uh, Babyface P, what am I going to remind everyone of right now? Go to thehankstrange.com and sign up for the email list so you can win sh- stuff. Yeah, see, you must be tired today. You're not pushing Babyface P. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. Yes, go to hankstrange.com. Sign up for the email list. We're giving away stuff on there. All you have to do is be subscribed. We've got links to all the different ways you can support us. Lola throws up deals on there as well as lolasdeals.com. Um, also... Hank20, if you go to Sportsman's Guide and you spend 100 bucks or over, you use the code Hank20, you get 20 bucks off your purchase um, of everything excluding ammo. And that code runs until the end of the year, Lola tells me. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, the show's brought to you guys by Walther. Thanks to Walther Arms for uh, sponsoring the show here. Uh, please remember to smash the thumbs ups, of course, subscribe here to the channel, ring the bell so you can be notified, share this with everyone. We've got Adam Kokesh, libertarian, running for president. I think we, we probably had the next president of the United States of America on the show, <laughs> on the show with us tonight. We're going to get to pick his brain, ask him some questions since he's been here the last time. Um, Adam, do you remember how we started this before? Remember how we did this? Before? Yeah, man. Jazz hands. Let's see those jazz hands, everyone. All right. I hope you got your big girl panties on because we are live. This is episode 548 of the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Hank Strange. Babyface P is also joining us. Boom. There he goes, Babyface P. It's free for all Monday. We usually have Babyface P. Sitting in for Walter Killer Keller, of course, is Adam Kokesh of the Libertarian Party. Adam, what's up, man? Hey, it's another beautiful day here in Phoenix. Went to a protest against the lockdown. Had a good time. That's why I'm wearing my free hugs t-shirt. Free hugs. Oh. I'm going out there to say I am not afraid. And I have I have my, my social distancing. That bandana, bandana. I don't think that's going to work, just, Adam. Just in, just in case. And because, and, and you know, it's airborne. It oh, can boy. get to you in your eyes. I, I was like, you know, I got to oh. be really, really careful. And I had, I had my, my cool hat on. You and know, I got out there. And I tried to give a cop a hug, and the cop wouldn't wouldn't accept the hug. But lots of the protesters, <laughs> lots of the protesters were very friendly, and it's it's a very strange time to put it mildly here in the United States right now, here really around the world, but where there's such a disconnect, where most people are looking at this this fear monger and like, no, we're not afraid of this crap. Like, no, you can't. You could you could scare me into putting on a mask in public. But you can't scare me into shutting down my business. And that was uh, the, 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 it, it turned into a bit of a pro-Trump rally today. Unfortunately, I was thinking it was going to be more of a protest Trump rally. You know, he's the one who declared the state of emergency, who's ratcheting up the socialism and fascism and authoritarianism out of D.C. But there were a lot of pro-Trump people there. But the thing that was really beautiful about it was that it was a genuine act of defiance. And there were a lot of people saying, you know what, we're not going to let them shut down our business. We're not going to let them shut down our lives. And so I was there with my free hugs t-shirt, and I got a lot of free hugs. It was a great reception. And a lot of people out there were, were really, you know, we thought it was going to be more of a vehicle protest. No, all in-person rally. Nobody worried about social distancing. Some people wearing masks and gloves, but most people just out there like they would on a normal day with a crowd. Okay, awesome, awesome. Adam, you just look like the invisible man just now with that <laughs> with that getup that you had on there and then purple sunglasses. Um, Would the invisible man be saying free hugs? 
I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. No, no. So, okay, cool. We're gonna, we're gonna get. We've got so much stuff to get into. I don't know if we should just um, jump into this whole thing here. You're still running for for uh, president in 2020, right? Libertarian Party. Yes. Well, anytime you introduce me as a presidential candidate, I have to like explain myself because I'm not a psychopath like everybody else who wants to be president. Mm-hmm. My platform is based on. You give me the ring of power, I'm going to throw it directly into the fire. Simple as that. We take the federal government through a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. So we declare the Constitution null and void. All federal laws cease being enforced on day one. I resign from the presidency to be custodian of the federal government. So I am the last president you will never need. And this is just the first step in localization. And that's getting government down to the community level where it's voluntary and consensual. Okay. All right. So maybe we should get into that a little bit here. But before we get into anything else, I invite everyone out there to um, ask questions and stuff like that. We did have Larry Sharp, who's also a libertarian. I believe you know, Larry. He was right. on, um, I think, like two weeks ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that you'd soften the position a little bit, but it sounds like you're still on when you become president, you are disbanding the government, basically, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I love Larry, and I, I, I don't know what he would be talking about there. Maybe he's thinking about the messaging and mm-hmm. how it's perceived, and, and it's definitely... Uh, been a shift. I originally started with saying we're going to abolish the federal government as our main messaging point as opposed mm-hmm. to dissolve or localize. And I thought, hey, you know, we abolished slavery and and, and most people were, you know, are pretty happy with the fact that we don't have slavery anymore. So, you know, mm-hmm. abolition should have a very positive connotation. But it turned out even in that context, abolition was was too strong of a word for most people. But it's also not accurate because what I'm proposing in localizing the federal government isn't literally abolished. Like when we said we abolished slavery, it's like, no, we got rid of it. At least, I mean, now we have government ownership of the workforce and all that uh, different kind of wage slavery. But when we said we abolished slavery as we knew it as direct human ownership as a practice, like we got rid of it. Whereas with the federal government, what I'm proposing actually preserves a lot of the legitimate value of it and hands it over to the states. You know, we're taking the VA, we spin it off as a private institution where we give every veteran in America one ownership voting share. You know, you get rid of the bureaucrats, the pharmaceutical companies, the the politicians, the special interests, and the drug war. Give us the right to medicate how we see fit. I guarantee you don't have 22 veteran suicides a day. That's just one benefit of this. But to, to say uh, more accurately that, that we're going to take it through a bankruptcy, we're going to localize it. Yes, we are getting rid of it as a legal authority. My position has never changed. It is an unethical, un-American thing to do to force someone into a system that they don't want to be a part of against their consent. And that's what we have today. OK. All right. Um, let me see. One of my questions that I want to know, uh, and Patrick, if you see uh, questions coming in, let me know. And we'll try to get people's uh, questions or comments up while while we've got uh, while we've got Adam here. Um, and I don't know if everyone remembers Adam was on before or not. So we I'm going to try to cover maybe some of the things we didn't. 
Okay, so so you you're still running for president. How many people on the libertarian in the libertarian party are running at this point? Oh well, we, you know, you know the Democrats and Republicans usually have a few hundred of all the crazy hangers on. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our share of those in the LP. I think there's something like 40, 50 total registered, but there mm-hmm. there are about a dozen running serious campaigns. Okay, a dozen running serious. Okay, so um, I I think on the Democratic side we've pretty much whittled that down to Joe Biden, kid sniffer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody's nobody has pushed against him yet. Uh, well, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're afraid to get push him. You have to get close to him mm-hmm. to push him. Yeah. That's right. Know, nobody I, wants to get touched. I, yeah. I, I'm not afraid. I, I think I don't think I'm his type. You know, in fact, I would be willing to <coughs> shake hands with Joe Biden at a debate if I if I had to as well. I hear he's, he's getting on in the years. I'm pretty sure Joe Biden has a pokey finger for you, Adam. You. <laughs> well, he, he, he give me the elbow bump like the cops did today. Yeah. <laughs> could you? Could uh, you know that would have been interesting to see? Like, um, do you remember the thing that happened with the when Joe Biden visited that plant and there was the construction worker there? Oh uh, yeah, about yeah. The, the Second Amendment question. Oh, I don't yeah. know. There's so there's so many. You know, I, I I heard earlier today that the excuse for Joe Biden is that his sexual assault accusation, credible sexual assault accusations are only in the single digits. And you go, ah, that's, that, now, so now today, now separate argument, I, I, want, I just want to throw this out there as a way of just demolishing the, well, at least it's not Clinton, you know, or at least it's not a Republican argument, because I got that today at the rally. I was talking to some people about, oh, why are you wearing a Trump hat to a, a Trump protest, right? And, uh, you know, well, hey, at least it's not Hillary. Like, I, I got into some, some you know quick meaningful protest style kind of back and forth mm-hmm. and the last but any time you say well no trump he's supporting he just declared fascism of, of buying stock in companies and taking charge of changing restaurant ownership of six trillion dollars of liquidity a president has absolute power like he's already supported all of these other socialist policies and they go well 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 uh, at least it's not Clinton. And so it's, a, and it's the same thing left or right, you know, with, Biden. well, at least he only has single digit sexual assaults. Like, okay, so what you're saying is that if you're going to eat a, a turd burger, you'd rather have a turd burger with one patty versus the double double of turd burgers. You're still eating shit. Stop eating shit. You know, I mean, when I, when I think of the average American decide, trying to decide whether to vote you know, Republican or Democrat, and they, they, they've got one pile of shit in one hand and one pile of shit in the other, and they're trying to decide which one smells better. I just want to yell at them, no, drop the shit. Like, dr- you drop the two-party system, drop the duopoly, drop the, the mental enslavement to this nonsense. And, like, if that's your fallback, really? You call yourself an American? We can't do better than this? Really? Well, at least it's not Clinton. Well, at least it's not the Republican. That's like at least. So, the, so what I'm here's I'm just what I'm reading is that you went to this thing today thinking that it was going to be an anti-Trump thing. Obviously, the Trumpers came in and took Trump over. Neutral. Yeah, no, no, it was well, it was a, it was a lot of the Tea Party crowd, you know. And, and, and I, I, I got one thing I got to say out of this whole coronaphobia crisis. Here's to here's to the Christians. Celebrating Easter in civil disobedience. I wish I had some wine to drink symbolically here, but probably the only one of us drinking is going to be babyface. If we, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's Monday, I don't know. 
But see, the, the, the Christians came out with the first widespread civil disobedience in response to coronaphobia lockdowns in America. You know, like, good, good for them. And there was a big part of the crowd today that was Christian as well. They said a prayer. They said the Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, there, there, there was, a, uh, there, there was a, a bit of a sermon uh, from, from somebody whose business had been shut. I don't want to call it that. But there, there was definitely some, you know, Christian proselytizing. I don't have a problem with yeah, that. I was gonna, so where are, you, where are you on religion? Where, where, are you on, where are you on religion, Adam, while we're on that subject? Just real quick. Any, I, I, anything that helps people live better. That, okay. that answer, you know, religion, but what about you? What about you personally? Do you talk about that? Okay. I, I do in, in my own way. I'm, I'm, I, the, the words that would best label me would be, you know, Buddhist, pantheist, Wiccan. You know, something okay. in that. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Um, okay. But, but no, to me, pantheism is the core of, of my belief system that that God is pervasive in the universe. God is okay. everything. God is everywhere. Okay. And right. and and that religion. Is, is humanity's attempt to answer the questions that we can't answer from science and observation and reason. Mm -hmm. And anybody who embraces a story or, or a worldview or a religious mythology, whatever it is, that helps them live better or understand the world better, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay, that's cool. No, I, I could I could rock with that. I know I believe, like, um, so I'm not like, I don't know, it's difficult. I believe in God. But what I believe is if you could actually go outside of the universe and look back, that's when you would see God. I believe God's everything that exists yeah. in the universe. So that's can. my personal. Yeah. yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, very, that's very much in line with mine. Very, okay. very, I mean, the same, at least the same concept of God. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's, that's, uh, it's, it's really important that in the, you know, the, the spirituality though, that we, that we accept mm -hmm. it is, it is, it is, in a sense, we are telling ourselves a story of, of things that we do not know. We are, we are choosing to embrace things as a matter of faith. And, and, you know, I've gone through a lot of different phases. I was raised, you know, very vaguely Jewish and very vaguely Presbyterian and, you know, not strict with either. But, but certain, you know, I've gone through my phases of like, I got to figure out what's right. I got to know. And for a while I was an atheist and an agnostic. And then, you know, you know, found, found like hardcore Buddhism. And then I was like, no, you everyone know has to I'm walk their own path, man. Time. Everyone has to find, figure out for themselves what they believe. Right. Yeah. And you, you, you find know? your own Zen. And you know what? I, I, the one thing that I, you, when I hear like, like about, about Christians and Christianity and all the evil done in the name of Christianity, I think, you know, I, I like your Christ. And not so much your Christians. Well, I think you, um, even among Christians, you can tell there are people who use it for good and people who use it for bad. There are people who use it to excuse bad behavior or rationalize it. And there are people who use it to call them to uh, a, a better way of life. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's when you can tell people who are like spiritually at peace, you know, that, that, that we have a Zen you know, I think I've been kind of coming into that even at age 38, just over the last few years of my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely believe in religious freedom. I think everyone has to walk their own path. And um, I think the biggest thing about religion is that it's a discipline, you know, and it's a discipline that we seek from outside of ourselves, you know, otherwise you could like any, every, everyone can obviously make up whatever they want to, 
um, and, and, you know, go down that path. Okay, cool. We don't have to get deep into this unless people out there do, but I, th I thought you brought that up. That would be good to do. Okay, so we've got lots of people running um, in, on the, in the Libertarian Party. Um, I th are you guys still having your convention in May? I hope so. Okay. And so if, if, if you want a quick little backstory on, mm -hmm. on my situation, mm -hmm. we were in Peoria, Illinois. I think it was... Ugh, three or four weeks ago. It's hard to say, right? And a lot of this this weird coronaphobia crisis, sometimes it's like a day seems like a week, although I think that's kind of slowed down. But mm -hmm. there was a period where the news was just coming so fast and everything was changing so rapidly. It was kind of overwhelming if you were trying to keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to be in Michigan uh, for their convention in Grand Rapids mm -hmm. the next day, and Michigan canceled theirs. And then there was a wave of state convention cancellations. So they're all going remote, you know, and, and now, so we, we had to do a coronaphobia bug out tour. We went to Texas thing and maybe things will come out of lockdown. We'll hang out in Texas until their state convention. But it looks like even that is going remote. And then the Libertarian National Committee who gets to decide this is going to be having a meeting, I think on May 2nd or 3rd. And, They've put it off till then, which I think is smart to decide finally. I really hope, and I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for, excuse me, having the convention as planned in Austin and just saying that we will make accommodations for people who want to practice strict social distancing. Okay. I have a hard time thinking that even in Texas, where they came in hard police states so fast, they were mandating that you have a face covering just to go pump gas in some places in Texas, then there's some places that's still in effect. I think by May 21st, we will be able to, uh, to meet in Austin's plan. But the fallback is July in, uh, in Vegas to piggyback with freedom fest, which would also be good for a lot of reasons. We get to have more of a vibrant primary now that the Republicans and Democrats are done. And, uh, I, th I think, I think it would be, uh, it, it would be good either way. I think, you know, we go ahead in May, we get our nominees sooner. They, we give, you know, I have more time if I'm the nominee than to get out and, and run a general election campaign. But if not, there's this sort of attention vacuum in politics right now. And uh, I don't know, maybe if, if the libertarians start having debates in person that turn into, you know, mud wrestling matches or something, you know, that we can, we can actually get some mainstream media attention. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Um, so the reason why I'm asking that question, here's a headline. I just want to read the headline mostly here uh, because it's, it's in line with what we're talking about. Uh, this is in Politico. It says, will the pandemic keep third parties off the 2020 ballot? Uh, mm, says mm. social distancing, making it hard to get uh, signatures, etc. goes into all that stuff. Um, so do you find that that's a problem right now in, in uh, the Libertarian Party? You guys, because of all this social distancing, like what you just said, right? It's making it, um, it's taking you guys out of the limelight. No one's thinking about the third party so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there was a deliberate conspiracy here to disadvantage third parties. But mm -hmm. when someone went to Trump and was like, Trump, if you just abandon your principles, if, if you have any left uh, and, and declare a state of emergency, guess what? We, we, we also make it really hard for the libertarians to do anything. Right. He's, oh, oh, OK, you know, it's a little contributing factor for them. And for people who don't know what Hank is referring to here in the background is that 
in a lot of places just to get on the ballot because we don't have major party status, which is one way that we're kept out. Uh, you know, we, we, we have to collect signatures in order to get on the ballot. And so they, they make it that much harder for us. For Democrats and Republicans, it's either automatic or they have an existing base. So it's, it's easy for them to collect signatures. If we have to go out and collect, you know, overall, literally hundreds of thousands of signatures and people are unwilling to share pens. And although I did it today, you know, like today, someone said, you asked me to sign a petition with a clipboard at the protest to, to uh, um, uh, what, what was uh, and the shutdown in Arizona, uh, reopen Arizona, I think was um, or open Arizona was 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 the uh, the name of the petition. And for libertarians, it, it might be really tough. But before any of this happened, I had a plan anyway to guarantee that the libertarian presidential nominee is in the debates. Now, whether they're in the actual debate themselves on stage or the podium, who knows? But I guarantee that if we do this, the libertarian presidential nominee will be part of the bigger debate and will be a bigger story. And that's like a combination of what we did with the march on the White House with veterans for Ron Paul and Ralph Nader and Jill Stein going and getting arrested at the debates, plus all the vehicle protests and shutdowns. So what we're going to do is have the retake the debates protests, although we might have to change the theme to match coronaphobia better and call it <laughs> lock down the debates, right? But what we're going to do is say, look, if you don't let the libertarian debate, we are going to march in formation as veterans on the debate, and you are going to have to arrest us one at a time because we are going to block the entrances in formation. We're going to sit in if we have to, and you are going to have to arrest a giant formation of thousands of veterans if you want the Republican and Democrat to be even able to enter the building. We're going to have vehicles come and lock that area down with vehicle protests with gridlock for blocks around. We've already got a, a dozen truckers on board who have organized protests like this before. So the message is very clear to retake the debates. If you do not allow the libertarian presidential candidate in the debates, you will not be allowed to have the Republicans and Democrats debating either we will shut you down and we will be the story okay okay how many um veterans do you have on board with something like that we already had uh four or five hundred it was 450 something when we did the march for veterans for ron paul but of course that was years ago and in the libertarian party we have you know the, the general population is what nine percent veterans and, and, and we're something, or is it 13%? Uh, I don't know. We'd, dude, we'd, have, to, we'd have to look up those so, numbers. You want to Google that real quick? Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's one of those, but I, I think it might be 9% of the general population is veterans. In the Libertarian Party, it's it, every event, you know, you know, I ask for hands. It's like 20 to 30%. We are way overrepresented in the Libertarian Party. Okay. And traveling to all the state conventions, everybody was on board and super supportive of this. So just from that, we've already got at least a few hundred when we have the dates and the actual logistics for this, the Commission on Presidential Debates did release the dates and locations, but they didn't say yet that they are excluding the, Dem or the, uh, the, the Libertarian and only including the Republican and Democrat. Usually they wait until polls come out and to, to, to formally exclude us and say, well, you didn't get 15% in any national polls. Well, oh, you didn't get 20%. Oh, you didn't get 25%, so we have to keep mm -hmm. you out. Um, so when we declare this, I, I have no doubt 
you know, we already have the core team of people behind this. There are already hundreds of people who would do this. But I, I think we have no problem pulling it off, actually shutting down those events in that area. But I, I think we could have thousands, maybe even tens of thousands when, when we get to actually promoting these events. Okay. So let me see. Like, I'm, I'm Patrick, what, what do you think? Do you think the Libertarian Party hurts more uh, Trump or hurts Democrats? Or like everyone loses or, uh, or, or is the Republican is the is the is Trump. the Libertarian Party in trouble any like you know, Trump. It hurts Trump, you think it, it hurts, hurts Trump? both. I think mm -hmm. it hurts Trump a little more because most libertarians tend to be center right. Okay. Um versus no. center left. That's what I think. I don't think the libertarians tend to be as lefty as they are righty. Well, so uh, it, good. No, no, go ahead. No, so no, I, I mean, I kind of resent hearing libertarianism be described on a left-right spectrum <laughs> at all. And, and uh -huh. Larry Sharp, a lot, you know, I love quoting Larry Sharp, who you mentioned earlier. He said, you, a libertarian is someone who says you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and the last thing I'll say, and, and you know, I want to grant the point uh, to P here that because Ron Paul was such a force, he got us a lot of the low-hanging fruit from the right. And there are, in the bigger ideological picture, maybe more people coming from the right. And we have a bigger room for growth from the left. But with what I'm presenting with localization, it is literally the everybody gets what they want strategy. The only people ideologically it doesn't appeal to are the nationalist militarists. You want a conservative community, you want a liberal community, guess what? You get more of what you want with localization. Okay. Sorry, Pete. I mean to take that long. Um, no, so, and, and to, you know, not necessarily to support what Patrick is saying here, but I think that um, when you look at this, for example, the guys who are coming in and, um, you know, let's say the people who are joining the Libertarian Party are usually Republicans, right? If they feel like there's nothing going on in in the Republican Party, then they come over and they, or they try to run as an independent or libertarian. I guess you have that every now and then in the Democratic Party, but we see it probably more often on the Republican side. I know you don't want to. I know you don't like the idea. No, of no, that. no, no. I, I, no, I, I, I'm ideologically there is there is no favor to the left or right. Ideologically, it transcends completely. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't deny in your demographic analysis, yes, that there is more of a connection to the right right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we had Mike Ravel in uh, 2016 or uh, 2012 running for the nomination, former Democrat senator. Mm -hmm. um, I have the endorsement already of Cynthia McKinney, who was the Green Party nominee for 2008 and uh, six-term Democrat congresswoman. Uh, there are a lot of people on, on you know, distinctly, I, I think what I'm proposing is, is a way that preserves all of our base and, and our gateway from the right, but creates a whole new, you know, broader gateway that includes people on the left as well to say, look, you know, localization, you get a community based on your values set up to meet your needs without being forced into the centralized system, mm -hmm. really applying localization makes these things irrelevant. That Larry Sharp quote is so powerful because it, it, it reveals that being liberal or being conservative are aesthetic things, not ethical things. They're, they're, they're things that you want your community to look like, mm -hmm. not I want to force it on people like this. And that's what it is when you take those things and turn them into politics. So I really resent 
even the labeling rhetorically of being a left libertarian or a right libertarian that, you know, that, that, that's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like everybody needs their adjective, but if you believe in the ethical principle of libertarianism, you believe in self-ownership, you believe in the non-aggression principle, you can still be extremely conservative or extremely liberal and it doesn't matter. And if you, if you insist on applying those words, you're kind of denying the meaning of the word libertarian itself. It depends on your mindset, right? None of us like labels, <laughs> but as human beings, no, no, we no. have <laughs> labels because in everything, there's a spectrum. It's like yeah. gun guys. There's, you well, know, we, we, gun we, guys we, go across the spectrum. Up, we came up with the perfect label for people who don't like labels. Mm -hmm. Libertarian. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Now, let me let me get a couple of things in here. Mr. Lovell says, uh, I, I'm... I'm not 100% sure what he's responding to here, but he says um, that's because vets have seen people injured or dead from government bureaucracy. I want a constitutionalist. Yes. So I think he's responding to something you said. Right. Um, well, so no, about that. You know, there's two very powerful contrasting points there. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, a lot of us are motivated to become libertarians because we have seen the worst of government. War is mm -hmm. the health of the state. Obviously, you know, we all know this. And it's a product of both parties. Republicans and Democrats are both pro-war parties. But he says, you want a constitutionalist. Well, I got to break down the Constitution for a second there because I'm running on the platform mm -hmm. of abolishing it as we know it. Now, mm -hmm. if you like the Constitution and everybody in your state likes the Constitution, you, you know, you can have a state constitution that's just like the federal one. But isn't it un-American to force your idea of a constitution on somebody else to deny them the right to declare their independence, you know, how this country got here. Mm -hmm. And the people who did that, I make an important distinction between the founders and the framers, because the founders were the ones who signed the declaration and said, screw you to the king, we're going to be independent, and we'll fight to the death to assert our rights if we have to. The framers were the ones who screwed it up afterwards by creating a new central authority under the Constitution, and they did it illegally. The Constitution replaced the Articles of Confederation, which were the constitutional law of the land at the time, and they required unanimous consent to alter or to abolish them. They came in with the Constitutional Convention because they wanted to fund a standing army. They wanted a central bank. They wanted a strong central authority. They wanted the authority to tax, which is to steal from people in the name of government under the color of law. It was a criminal counter-revolutionary coup what they did with the Constitutional Convention. The Bill of Rights was their excuse. Look, we'll respect your rights. We'll pussy, we'll, we'll put, it was to pacify people like Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death. And it didn't work. Look, has the, are the Bill of Rights respected today? No, I'm not allowed to own a gun because I have a nonviolent felony on my record. It's insane. Do, do you, is your freedom of speech respected when the government helps the conversation move to social media and it's so heavily censored and you know, I have so, arguably the most shadow bands. So I'm sorry. Let me bring back to the military and I'll wrap mm -hmm. up. Because the Constitution authorizes a standing army. It gives them the toys to screw with us. It gives them the power of militarism, which is a cancer on the warrior class. A warrior is someone who stands up for what is right no matter what. A soldier is someone who kills for politicians. And it is the greatest perversion of Americanism that we have militarism taking over the country at this point. Okay. All right. Um 
So a couple, there's so many things in there that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cover. I don't know. Okay, so the reason why you're banned from owning guns is that because of your, um, is that because of your desk pop in, in Capitol Hill? Is that yeah, the shotgun felony. Yeah. Okay, that's the reason why. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I, I, I can't complain about my. I don't try to complain. Well, look at me. I'm not allowed to own guns. So you know. I'm, no, I don't know. It's like I, I knew what I was doing. It was part yeah. of the civil disobedience. I knew yeah. it was. It was yeah, the I mean, I yeah, I, I think I know the point you were trying to make there. You know, so I mean, I, I don't know who sees that as being cool. I'm not something. Oh, what is, are something you yeah, something is cracking him up. I, I, I did you just look at your phone? No. So, so I just texted my what I thought was my wife and said, "Hey, can you grab me the last beer?" Because she just went downstairs. <laughs> uh, I texted that to Hank. Hank yeah. just got a text and said, "Hey, can you grab me the last beer?" <laughs> Guys, what is going on? Sorry. The dog, someone is attacking his house over there. Uh, and neckbone is neckbone is on alert. I don't know what's happening with these guys. He was huffing out the window. He saw a squirrel. squirrel yeah, a squirrel probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So okay, listen. I don't think I because I understand the um I understand the protest you were trying to do, and I think it's a travesty that because of that you lost your 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 rights, uh you know to own guns in America. I, I I think I totally agree with that. Uh, let me see. There's a couple my, of things. My privileges were taken away. Yeah, it's that's that's just really really crazy, right? Um, what was the other thing? Okay, so when you were talking about the framers, so was that like the first big power grab in in, yeah. in young America? Well, I'm sure I, I'm sure you could look at other ones. I mean, to, to pretend that you know there hasn't always been in you know modern society. Uh, people who are able to to pull big strings and manipulate armies and monetary systems and and major portions of the economy, you know that that would be naive. It's just that it, it, what we have today under modern bureaucratic governments with fiat currencies is is at a whole other scale of criminality, where they're able to you know. And, and you've you've heard Ron Paul say it's no coincidence that the century of total war coincided with the century of central banking and it really was the 20th century when it took off but even with the you know first and second central banks in the united states i believe uh, by most historical accounts the current federal reserve system is the third uh, central bank we've had in the united states uh you know you go back to alexander hamilton he was trying to get the uh you know the, the first bank of the united states that would allow them to force a currency on the population and uh i, I don't know your audience is pretty familiar with you know what real inflation is in monetary policy and, and the ripoff of the Federal Reserve System, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, who, go ahead, go ahead, Patrick. Who was uh, the guest you had a month ago? The the woman that's a constitutional scholar. Well, do you uh, remember her name? Uh, I can't think of her yes, name. Off I know exactly who you're talking about. I would love um, for these, her, and these two to to do, just go at it for like two hours. It'd be amazing. Yeah, because you're you're staunchly federalist, yeah. right? Like you're very very staunchly a f like federalist papers pre constitution No, right? anti-federalist. Anti-federalist. Yes. Okay. Someone, she's she is a she is staunch. She's a staunch uh, constitutionalist, constitutional scholar. Chris yeah. Ann Hall. Chris Ann. She was yeah, she Ann. was really interesting yeah. to listen yeah. to. But I, the yeah. two of you are so like polar oh, yeah. opposite. It would be really interesting. Well, I mean, to so to. but the one thing you guys would agree on, I think all of us here, we could do a poll right now. Who here, out of the three of us and everyone watching, who I would recommend you guys all smash the thumbs ups. Who wants big government? Who who no, wants big yeah, government no, here? No, who no, wants no. it? Anyone want big government? I don't. No, none of us. No. <laughs> well, know. hold on. It's like what, what's what's what you got to define government here? You know, if if, if big government centralized is, government, if government is a coercive entity. 
You know, it's like, do you want to eat a small shit sandwich or do you want to eat a big shit sandwich? Uh, I don't want to eat either one of those sandwiches. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't eat want eat. So, but here's the thing. So that power that the, what we're talking about with the framers, someone on the flip side of that will probably argue, well, okay, so you just basically got independence from the king of England, but you're still in right. danger. So you have to somehow establish a way that all these states are going to get together and defend against these guys because they're not just going to let go of America like that, right? Yeah, but that, that's, uh, that's, that's such utter nonsense as an argument in terms of being absolutely ignorant of the main historical premise of what just happened when you're saying that that was being said, which was that the colonists just won a war mm-hmm. against the biggest empire in the world with a ragtag decentralized army of mostly militia type forces, not regimented redcoats. And a big part of how it was won was with guerrilla tactics rather than regimented militarist tactics, which yeah. in European but, times and back then was we line up and, and we shoot each other. Right. So we just we just proved that a better defense comes with a well-armed population that refuses to be governed by anyone. That was what the founders advocated for. The framers were the ones who screwed up and said, no, let's have a standing army. A lot of the founders were very specifically against the concept of a standing army because they knew that the only legitimate defense for a free people is a well-armed population that refuses to be governed by anyone. If you tell your government, I want an army, I want to be defended by you, and I'll let you tax me to support it. You are exactly why we are vulnerable as a country. You are what makes us weak. You are why another government would want to come in and take over, because you're a, 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 a weak person who is willing to be governed. If you are a strong person who says, I demand freedom, then you are no longer a target for anyone to be ruling you or taking advantage of you at all. And right now, because we have the biggest military in the world, because we have arguably the biggest government in the world, we are extremely vulnerable. Right now, we live in an America occupied by foreigners who control Washington, D.C. And the people who live in Washington, D.C. are foreigners to my home state of Arizona. Here in Arizona, I have to follow laws passed by people hundreds of miles away. That's not right. That mm-hmm. by, by any vision of, of what government should or could be. And so if you tell your government, no, we will not be governed by anyone, there's no reason to invade. There's no reason to take over. But you say, hey, what if China comes and takes us over? Well, good. Just like Donald Trump said, the people of Iran should be grateful if America comes in and gets rid of their corrupt government. Well, hey, we should be grateful if China comes in and gets rid of our corrupt government and they have to start from scratch building a tax system to get to where we are today where the average working American is working for government over half the year. That's right, if you're the average working American taxpayer, you add up all the fees, fines, and costs of government. It's not just what they take out of your paycheck. You are working for government half the year. If a new government came here and kicked our government out and had to start over, we'd be starting with a very small government. Um, what? So, go ahead. Question. Go ahead what? So, so in your in your thought process there, in your train, what makes you think that another government coming in historically, anytime somebody's taken over somebody else, they've always instituted what they have, their rule. 
What makes right. you think that somebody would come in, take over, and then go, okay, have fun? Yeah, that what makes like, it automatically oh, no, better? No, 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 no. I'm I saying, mean, definitely, I'm it's not going to be better no, under no, China. No, no. Excuse, yeah. no, excuse me if I if mm. I if I didn't make this clear. I was mm. pointing out the irrationality of Trump's logic of saying yeah. that yeah, you should be grateful for a foreign okay. invading force. Yeah. Oh, okay. If okay. you apply that logic, we should be grateful for China coming in and and, and yeah, I, I, I'm not. Yeah, they would try to. But if, if you're even even if that were true, if your sole objective is smaller government, if that's your only do you want America to have the smallest government possible? Well, it would be good if there were governments always fighting and if, if they only killed each other. Right. Mm -hmm. If they only killed Look, people, he finally got his politicians bear. Uh -huh. and soldiers. <laughs> hey, there you go. Politicians and soldiers who wanted to be a part of that fight mm -hmm. and left the rest of us alone, which is yeah. a hypothetical unreality. You know, yeah. but, let, but, but let's let's bring this into it, because I think I think this is this is a this is one of the things I like about you, Adam. You know, you make the mind start turning. I'm sure everyone's mind out mm -hmm. there is turning and working like crazy. How look during the during the revolution, right? Didn't didn't they have to force people to fight? You know, weren't people trying to run away? Didn't they have to put some people had to be put up on firing squads? And the reason why I'm bringing that up is everyone did not want to defend America, right? So the thing is, it's easy to say. Oh, yeah, you know, we don't need the government. We don't need a standing army. We'll all do it. I agree with you. I would do it, and I, and I know for sure you would do it, Adam, because you voluntarily mm -hmm. already did it, right? Mm -hmm. But right. not everyone, and I'm sure Patrick would fight. I'm sure the folks who are listening to us. But let's be honest. Most people aren't going to fight for anything. Sure. Now, uh, this is where I, I would probably lose a lot of the historical debate to Chris Hall because I'm not making the argument from history. I'm learning lessons from history. So mm -hmm. did it happen on a small scale during the Revolutionary War where some dudes shanghaied into fighting? I don't know. I couldn't answer that. But think about this for a second. Let's say you're in a house, right? And there's an invading force coming on. And there's one dude in the house who's like, oh, man, screw this. I'm scared. I'm out of here. And, and, and you come and go, no, you better stand up at the front window and fight with us. But he thinks that his best way of surviving is getting out. Do you really want to put a gun in his hand next to you while you're shooting at an enemy that he thinks can't be? No, he's going to turn and shoot you and run out the back and get what he wants. And he thinks that's how he's going to survive. Soldiers who are forced to fight are never going to be effective and it's unethical and it wasn't i'm now this is where i'll, I'll make the historical supposition it probably wasn't necessary i mm -hmm. don't think the revolutionary was won by widespread having a draft and forcing people to fight and you know as, as part of the revolutionary army i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure i'm right on that you know bigger historical overview so it doesn't justify it regardless like i said i'm not making the argument from history, like because yeah. it happened this way, we have to do it yeah. this way. I mean, we but we when we you don't look at history, you can learn from. It. Well, we don't have to get into a time machine to go back to see how people. We we can see it right now. <laughs> we can see it right now. Who is willing sure. to fight right now? I feel like yeah. I feel like the back to that whole three percenters, the three percent, mm -hmm. the three percent that fought or whatever. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's that three percent of people at least right now that are like, "Fuck off! I'm not sitting in my house anymore. I'm done yeah. with this bullshit." <laughs> Yeah, so the, yeah, that, that's a really no. It's it, it, that's a really interesting you know comparison because this is a question I, you know, maybe we should turn this into more of a positive brainstorming session looking forward right now. Mm -hmm. if, if if I may may pivot off of, of that idea because 
you know, if you say it was it was a three percent of the population that was able to lead the Revolutionary War, you know, and, and back in more primitive times, even then, we were a lot closer to being hunter gatherers socially. So just the, 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 the proportion of the population that had the effort available, the spare energy and resources to go out and fight or do politics, anything beyond, you know, managing their homestead and taking care of their family and just struggling to survive was a lot smaller. And three percent could have that effect. Has the bureaucracy, has the weight of the Leviathan gotten so heavy that 3% can't stand up now, that we can't have that impact? You know, and now it's more that we're more fight. Like, I call this the coronaphobia crisis. It's not the corona crisis. Corona didn't do any of the shit that's hurting us right now. It's the government. It's the fear. It's the fear mongering and the manipulation through fear, which is terrorism. It's exactly Donald Trump is a terrorist. Every every Republican and Democrat who is deliberately blowing up the pandemic fear is a terrorist. They're using fear to achieve political goals, which for their for them is ripping people off. There are more than three percent at this point who are at least willing to say, you know, screw the lockdowns. You know, the people I saw today in Phoenix at the protest, mm-hmm. we are, I think, as people who are willing to find something fundamentally different, more than 3%. My answer is put localization on the ballot. Put 50 state independents on the ballot. Give everybody the chance to say, you know, screw it, we're out of here, I'm opting out. But mate, is there more? Is there, like, I wanted to go to do a protest in D.C. in a couple of weeks and say, let's lock, you know, Let's lock down D.C. Let's make Washington non-essential. Let's go with just do a vehicle protest at noon for an hour and just block traffic and shut down D.C. And, you know, I I see that most of the people protesting are still stuck in the left, right, pro-Trump mostly mentality. So am I missing something? Well, okay. so do you think that this is just a thing that we could put in the lap of of only Trump? Because. You know, to me, I think the media is pushing the fear here on on a grander scale than the Trump administration. I'm not trying to excuse them or defend them or anything like that. There's there's no, but Trump either 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 Trump is in on it, or he he's a sucker who got pushed into it and he's a spineless piece of shit full of the. I think he's like I think he's like any politician. I think he's like any politician. Who's in a position, and then we're all we're most people, like once again, this comes back to what most people do versus what you know a few people how few people see things, right? If everyone mm-hmm. saw the world the way that the three of us did, which we've got things, even though we're not exactly the same, we have a lot of things in common. Most of the people listening right. to this, we have a lot of stuff in common, but most of the people is not us. Most of the people are really sheep. So if you're a politician and, and you feel like you're responsible for most of the people and then the media is pushing this thing so heavy, then now you run into a position where if you're the person saying, oh, hold, hold on a second, this is all yeah, fake news. Yeah, Trump, Trump has the megaphone. If he had principles, he could have stood up to this. Um, I, 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 I really can't tried. argue that. He tried. Yeah, because he tried for a little while. At first, he was downplaying this and saying, no, really, it's like a bad flu. And then he was like, never mind, state of emergency. Well, I think he was trying, I think he was, I think in some ways, but in some ways also he's trying to close the border. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. They're in a position, they're in a, in a particular position that they're backed yeah. into that. But who's there's, pushing it is the media, right? He's to close the border. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. 
you're right. You're right to point out that there is there is a bigger sort of conditional force created by the media, right? Without the media, the government can't scare the general population. That's our enemy right there, decide. if we want to pick the bigger enemy. Uh, I'm sorry, well, Patrick, the, what were you going to say, Patrick? I, don't I Patrick's... have already lost it. I have oh. no idea. <laughs> so if, if the media decides we're going to whip everybody into the spear frenzy, the mm. media can do it. And you're right to point out that government kind of has to respond. But mm. the thing is, we have a really fucked up government full of mm. fucked up evil people like Donald Trump, who when you scare people unnecessarily about something we shouldn't be scared about, they don't do the responsible thing and say, hey, we're leaders and we're reasonable, cool, calm, collected adults in the room. And we're going to tell you, don't be afraid. The media is hyping this up. Everything's cool. We're going to we're going to redirect some resources to meet the surge in health need if it's there. But we got this. Don't worry about it. But instead they go, "Ooh, people are scared. Let's take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. I think any and I'm not trying to defend Trump at all. I think any person in the White House when this goes down pretty much acts the same way that Trump's acting. And I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying anyone in the White House. Is going to act your this way. Your standards are They're called politicians. Yeah. You're the only politician that I know of, Adam, who basically, when you get the job, your job is to dismantle the machinery. You're the only right. one. Every no, no one else. Right. To a lot of people out there, that is such a crazy ass thought. Let's be honest about it, right? I mean, sure. even the first it's, time. It's certainly outside the box. Yeah, yeah, when even the first time when you came on, that's probably the thing that made people go, "What? What did I just?" And and what I'm trying to do is is have people understand where you're coming from. We all have this conversation, but mostly politicians. And and I don't know if I would put this is like the first time Trump ever got into politics, right? So I don't know if I would call him a career politician at this point. But we could say, you know, I, I would sure. say he's not a career politician, sure. right? So he, the, his first time getting into it, he ran for he ran for the big house. He ran for the White House thing. He got it. He's there now, and fear is acting on him because ultimately he's there in that position. They've been messing with him psychologically from the beginning of him getting into this thing. He doesn't have a lot of support from the Republican Party. He has definitely no support from a Democrat, and 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 the media is acting on him. Not I'm not trying to excuse anything. Right, right, right. No, no. But this is what politicians would do, I think, in this position, right? When, so when, you're you're taking on. So you're you're taking the position that Donald Trump is well intentioned. He's just relatively weak. He's well, I think I think he's the right. Okay, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. If we're going to go down this, we're going to go down this road. You tell us you're the president right now, not in 2020. Well, we're in 2020. You're not the president in 2021. You're the president right now, right? You're running the country. What would you do? Because, and let's remember, your first thing is you would have, so let's say you became the president in 2016, you would have dismantled everything. So how would this be playing out now? Let's say you did it before right. you dismantled everything, sure. this thing hit. Well, how okay. would you handle that? Yeah, so well, if if we didn't have a federal government, if we didn't have dishonest, centralized, coercive, authoritarian governments in, at the state and local level as well in the United States right now, the response to the coronavirus would be largely what you see today, but without any of the crappy parts. So you would have a grained social awareness of people, you know, 
covering their faces in public if the, if we think there's a special risk. People washing their hands more, which I'm all about. You would have uh, the the resources going to meet the the surge in demand, but you wouldn't have business shutdowns. You wouldn't have federal regulations preventing doctors from practicing across state lines. You wouldn't have the FDA slowing down the distribution of testing and, and, and the sharing of information. You wouldn't have the secrecy that Donald Trump has specifically ordered as he asked the CDC to conduct their deliberations in private. You would have the ability to share this information openly and honestly, and people would have at the community and individual level the ability to, to determine the appropriate risk level for themselves, which is kind of what I predicted was going to have to happen anyway. The, the idea that they're going to be able to keep this lockdown going when it's like, well, those people can go out with masks and gloves. Why can't I go out with masks and gloves? All I have to do is make up an excuse that puts me in the essential category and I can do what I want. Well, screw it. Then I'm just going to go out. And this yeah, is why like, I say, I, you know, I encourage everybody don't be afraid mm -hmm. if it, you know if you're like all, all of this is based around fear you know look at this rationally and when you look at it rationally you can look past the nonsense fear-mongering headlines too so if i was present if you want to say if you want to constrain this hypothetical to like adam if you were wearing this ring of power that you would never in good conscience put yeah. on what would you do if you were wearing the ring of power I would immediately remove all federal regulations that had anything to do with slowing down an appropriate response to a pandemic. Anything that makes the medical industry less flexible. Okay. Um, so, I, so let's I, say I, you're I the president. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Would, let's say you're the president. Okay. I'm the media. And I'm like, hey, Mr. President, what the hell are you doing? You know, the people, the people all over the world and in America, they're getting this disease and they're dying. What are you doing about it? What are you going to say? So Donald, I have a great answer. Give me a second, though. I'm going to set it up first with okay. Donald Trump's response in this situation. He stands up to the media when they make him look bad. He doesn't stand up to them when they're lying. And when they come at you and tell you that coronavirus is a big threat, they are lying. They are putting the numbers out of proportion deliberately. And I would tell them, oh, really? You think Americans should be afraid of that this is a real threat. Mm. How many Americans die of homelessness or die mm. from hunger as a result of homelessness every day in this country? How many veterans commit suicide every day in this country? Where were you when these tragedies start in this country? Nowhere. What you are doing as the mainstream media is a deliberate form of misdirection. You are getting people to pay attention to a small threat to get them to ignore the big threats. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to use the bully pulpit of the presidency to put attention where it belongs so that we can address the real threats to Americans. And if coronavirus is the worst of what the experts are saying at this point, it is still insignificant to these bigger threats. I'm going to get back to work for the American people to deal with the real threats and I'm going to make sure that you, the media, are put in their place. And unlike Trump, who's riding the wave of discontent with media, I'm going to say, really, the American people should stop listening to you entirely and support independent media productions like Lifestyles of the Locked and Loaded. That that's what people should be doing. That, no, all right, no, I, I inserted it as a joke. No, I'm, I get I'm it. dead serious here to say that if I was president, mm. I would not be fighting with the mainstream media. I would be saying, look, you don't you don't fight the system 
you build the alternative. The alternative media is already here. We have it on the internet. We have to get corporatism out of social media. We have to get blockchain-based social media. And I, I say this at the end of every interview I do when I can as a presidential candidate. I'll skip ahead for your benefit here. But if you're watching this right now, if you're watching live, share this right now. If you're watching this later and you get to the end of it and you're enjoying this and you think this is an important conversation, share this. I'm a huge tech optimist. The ability to do what Hank is doing with this program, what I do with Adam versus the man, is critical to realizing the potential of this technology, but it means nothing without an active and engaged audience. We don't get the same kind of sponsorship that the mainstream media does. You know, you're lucky in independent media to have the sponsorship that you do. It's been on and off for me with Adam versus the man. I have always relied on having that active and engaged audience, and we absolutely need that. So, you know, to what you're doing, thank you very much. I think that this is so Donald Trump, you know, took a lot of credit for changing America's relationship with the mainstream media. You know what? No, Alex Jones and Cenk Uger deserve more credit for that than Trump does. You deserve more credit than Trump does. I deserve more credit. Trump took advantage of that and is using that as a stick still. And when you fight something, the more you resist, the more it persists. Donald Trump is reinforcing America's sick and twisted relationship with the mainstream media and, of course, with government as well. Yeah. Um, did you want to jump in here, Babyface? Um, I want to ask a, 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 a question that's totally off topic from okay. this conversation. All right. Do uh, – and this is a – I'm not quite sure how this plays in, but I'm, I'm, I'm working towards it. Um, for Adam, do you, think, do you think evil exists in this world? It's a very broad question. Because I I feel like a lot of um, uh, a lot of things. Oh man, see it's hard to it's hard to visualize what I'm trying to say here. Um, Do you, are you trying to say that that changes the equation? A slightly, a okay. little bit, because mm -hmm. there are like like so. Say you have free alternate media, like you open up the alternate media. There are people out there that are I think are pure evil looking to take advantage of others. There are people that are looking to make, create disinformation. You mean in the government and mainstream media today? Everywhere, everywhere. Of course. Mm -hmm. How, how does, uh, so, so when you, you were to, to take power and just dismantle everything, how does a completely decentralized government handle bad people? Like how does it handle, handle evil? Okay, so there's there's a lot to that question. Yeah, and yeah, no, it's it's big. That's a big question. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, hold hold on to it. Stop stop me if I if I miss part of it because I really do want to address all of that. Um, well, when when you talk about there are evil people, that if, if 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 you look at the general population, say there will always be a certain number of people who are trying to take advantage of others or do bad things. You know, sure. By the way, we're we're getting less evil over time. If you want to impose that as the metric, we're getting less violent over time. We are yeah. living in the most peaceful times in human history. You know, a lot of a lot of the wait, bad hold on, oh, wait, you, you wait, wait, hold on a second. So you're saying yeah. that as time's going on here, I don't want to. I think I think this is a good question no, that no, Patrick's this is asking. It's an important. It's an important, yeah. no, it's an important sidebar. But but uh, you're I'll, saying I'll, we're I'll getting less. Back. You're saying we're getting less evil. I don't know if I agree this with is, that. No, no, no. So if, if it's, I said less violent over time, and if you want okay. to call that evil, mm. and this is not my assertion, this is Professor Steven Pinker at Harvard, and I highly recommend mm. everybody check out his TED Talk, The Surprising Decline in Violence. I disagree with some of his interpretations, but mm. what he has proven academically, irrefutably, 
is that human violence trends down over history pretty consistently and follows somewhat of a radioactive decay curve. And it's because why do people do violence? Desperation. Well, we're more productive, we're happier, we're safer than ever before. We're, why do we don't need to kill each other to survive as much as we thought we used to in the past? I think you know, people are more, I, I would say people are more pacified. I wouldn't say yes. people are necessarily less violent. No, on, I feel, I feel on like, every level. No, no, this is on every level, on okay. individual violence, on mm -hmm. war, everything. The, the, the death rate and rate of violent crimes. But the, going back, going back to Peace question, because that's mm -hmm. a bigger one. Okay. Is, is, and I'll, that is important to me. That's like mm -hmm. huge background to know that we are getting better over time. Mm -hmm. Humanity progresses. And that is on so many levels that most people don't even think about. Technological progress accelerating. The the ability of, of, of a human being to turn one hour of labor into goods and services. I, I know, think we it, have it I think up, we have right? more I think over time and I'm not trying to dish, derail the, the conversation here, but I think over time we have more bread and circuses. So people's bellies are more full, people's eyes are more entertained. You know, therefore it seems like we're more passive. Right. I, you when, you in, can look in, at it in that the way, past. That's not just control. That's, that's with or without government yeah. distraction. Well, in the past, we were easier to go. You know what? I'm hungry. Getting... I'm going to go out here and fight, and I'm going to take over that next village. I'm going to invade these right. guys. I'm going to take this yeah, guy's you wife. Have... You know, <clears throat> we we were more right. likely to have... do that than now. Now we have more to lose, or we we have this feeling like we have more to lose, sure. which is sure. why so why, we... why most people are inactive and in watching everything that's going on. Hence the conversation that we're having. Most people yes. are passive yes. in this conversation that we're having about freedom because clearly, like, freedom and liberty are under attack with this crazy-ass coronavirus thing that's happening that everyone's – most people are just sitting back and going, okay, I'll wait for you all to tell me when I can go back out in the streets. Yeah. I just had a little issue with the way that you use the word pacified as if okay. to suggest in bread and circuses as if to suggest it's manipulated. Yes, there's a lot of that. But the bigger historical trend is when you have someone who's a hunter gatherer and they constantly have to fight to survive, it's way easier to convince them to kill their neighbor than someone living in modern first world countries. Right. So but, but back to peace question, I want to I want to get to this, the, the question of evil, okay. because. If you assume, and even if we get less violent over time, there will still always be some people who would rather take advantage of us, although it's getting less and less, right? So if you have a decentralized government, if you have more independent media, a decentralized conversation, you have a decentralized economy, you have decentralized money with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency, then you are going to have good and evil. You're going to have this general texture of society. But one of the features of concentrating power is that it takes the most evil people from the general population and makes sure that they have more power than they would otherwise. Getting rid of this centralized power doesn't mean that there won't be evil people or people out there try, trying to do evil. It means that they will be less capable of it and they will be more accountable and it will be better it'll be easier to stop them okay. so how, then how, how question, are we defining oh, Lord, i got to these other evil questions okay well I, I, how are we defining evil here i think we got to come to a consensus yes, yes, no, it's broad yeah. yeah it's broad and yes. it's broad on purpose okay yeah right. no, I'm, I'm getting to that because p asked the question mm -hmm. in such a way that you could you could reject the concept or accept multiple definitions of evil. Okay. So when you say, does evil exist? 
if you if you say evil is people doing unethical things, well, duh, it's everywhere, and government is really freaking evil. And the I, I forget who said it, but there's this famous quote: the line between good and evil it goes through the the runs through the heart of every human soul. Or you know, you get the idea, right? That that it it, it is something that is inherent in us that that we all have a good and an evil with us. And in that sense, that we all have the the capacity to lower our vibration, to do unethical things. I I don't really think that good and evil are helpful constructs, and that's what they are. And generally speaking, I I, I don't like to use the word evil, and I, I tend to reject it as a construct. But to answer your question, when you say so, the last part of your question, P, is a really important challenge for libertarians. When you say, how does a decentralized or a voluntary society deal with bad actors. And the question could be like, well, without government, what are you going to do about murderers, right? Well, the government provides a legitimate service in actually holding violent people accountable, providing for public safety, locking up dangerous people. That means that people will want to pay for it. People will want this service provided. Now, in the process of localization, we're going to see local governments get away from enforcing the drug law and enforcing regulations and imposing currency laws and all of these nonsense victimless crimes and you get government more in line with the will of the people which is the natural law which is to only enforce crimes that have actual victims once you get to that level where government is doing just that you're going to see competition come up and you're going to see all sorts of ways that people do better jobs of holding bad actors accountable. And whether it's community-based or private security or insurance companies that do it, what we're going to have is way more compassionate, way more effective, way more community-based means of actually physically isolating bad people who should be isolated and for those who don't, holding them accountable for their actions. Go ahead, Patrick. So – um, so how, how does try not, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So, um, there is a say in, and this is a hypothetical that is partially true out in Utah in the desert, a cult mm-hmm. forms, uh, there's a mm-hmm. polygamist marrying all these women and, and doing all sorts of debaucherous things, maybe oh. killing people. Who knows? Who knows? All um, right. that is its own community. Uh, I, I'm assuming making an assumption here that you're cool with you run your own community you have local self-governance that's on you is that how well, you feel there is there is one part of that that i had a big problem with when you said they're okay. they're murdering people if they're killing okay. someone so that's, so not, that's there, not a community anymore there is that, a foundation there, you do have a you do have a base foundation of of ethics of morals I'm the only I'd say I'm the only presidential candidate. The Libertarian Party is the only party that has a base foundation of morals. It is based on self-ownership and the non-aggression principle. Okay. Uh, here's my question. And if you've got another thing you want to add to this, Patrick, let me know. My question is like who, you know, you're talking about self-policing or communities doing these things. Who's going to want to pay for it? Not who's going to pay for it. But who's going to want to pay for it? Or how do we exact justice, right? How do we exact justice? Who does it? Who's the, who, who's the person that's actually going to do that? And, you know, and let's say it's a third party. 
Who's going to want to pay for that? Because voluntarily, I don't think anyone... It's just like taxes. Who's going to voluntarily pay taxes? Are you? Well... Am I? Well, on a, well so you, you let's, let's say you're the average working American, Hank, and half of your income goes to the government every year. How much of that do you think is used to actually provide for your safety in a meaningful way, like cops patrolling your neighborhood, enforcing real crimes or the legal system going after real criminals? What percent of that? Of what I pay in taxes, I'm going to say a very small. I mean, you know, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Are we talking about on a federal like, like level, are, on a like, state like, level? Like, well, like everything, fifty percent is everything, right? So, well, like two, two or three percent of that maybe go to provide maybe. those legitimate safety services, right? The ones so, that directly it, it, affect me on a day-to-day basis, I would say right. probably somewhere in the five percent zone. So, so if you could live in a community where the only thing that your government does is enforce real crime laws, but your taxes went down by 97%, would you, would you go there and would you voluntarily pay that incredibly reduced cost of living or cost of government to have just those things that you want government doing? I, I, I think that's a good question. I think all of us who are in the – like I'm a small business owner. That's what I'm doing here. Right. You know, uh, Babyface right. is a he's employed. But uh, but either way, regardless of which one you're in, we are voluntarily doing that. I think that right. I, I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that voluntarily don't do any of that. You know, it's a very simple thing right now. You can opt in or opt out. If you decide to go have a job, you know, and you and, and taxes get taken out of your paycheck, you're opting into that. If you decide to start a business and you're you're doing your taxes however you do it as a business person, you're opting into that. If you're a person who says, hey, you know what, I'm not paying for anything. Right. I'm not doing anything. Well, I'm not going to go work. I'm not going to have a business. Have, you, should, you should have that right, too. You know, like for me, you know, if I was allowed to own a gun, right, you know, I'd be able to fully defend. And by the way, other people around me are allowed to own guns. Let me just point this out in case anybody is watching. Yeah. Thinking You're not I'm bitter vulnerable. about this at all. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, 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 yeah, right. But in case anybody thinks I'm vulnerable, not only do I open carry pepper spray every, everywhere I go. Ooh, okay. See that? Flipping yeah. the safety off. Yeah. Really dangerous yeah. here. Um, Don't yeah, muzzle me with your pepper spray, awareness. bro. <laughs> yeah, no. But uh, can, I, can I pepper spray you across the internet? Does that, does that work? Uh. Um, no. But, uh, you know, I, have, I just want to make it clear that there, there's mm-hmm. usually, usually uh, there are usually a few people around me who are armed in case anybody was getting any ideas. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like if, if I if, if, if the county sheriff in Yavapai County, where I live, is enforcing a bunch of drug laws and nonsense, you know, I, I don't want to pay taxes mm-hmm. to support them using that money to hurt innocent people. I would rather keep my money and buy some guns. Mm-hmm. I would be safer that way. But I would be the safest if my community and the free market were allowed to direct those resources that I want to contribute to, to public safety in, into ways that were ethically directed yeah. rather than unethically. So, government. you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'm trying to get to me, me personally, what I'm trying to get to almost like, you know, there's the microcosms and there's the microcosm, the small thing, the macrocosm, the big world. Right. And, you know, if you look either way, you look at it in reality, always there's people who who do the right thing, who want to participate. They think about the greater good and whatever. So let's say and microcosms, your family. Right. Um, Like.
I think a lot of families run like socialism, to be honest with you, or communism. Right. I know that's how that's I run it. In, in my out. house, yeah, in my house, I'm a freaking dictator. Okay. <laughs> right? Yep. So but even in, in like in my family, one of my one of my kids, for example, they're both my kids are great kids. One, if uh one of them will will get up and cook and cook for everyone. The other one won't cook for anybody, including himself, but he'll eat <laughs> if someone yep. else if someone else cooks, this is the, this is exactly what we have in society. So that's a microcosm, but then the macrocosm of society, we have people that will get up and do what they have to do. If we're a village, right? If we go if you go back a hundred years, we're a village, and and like, hey, who's going to volunteer to stay up at night, keep the fires going, watch the perimeter, make sure no creatures come in here, whatever? There's always going to be people willing to do this, to do that, to do that, and then there's always going to be someone who goes, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> The freeloader problem, right? Yeah. So this is the thing that we're kind of dealing with. I mean, this is how we wind up. This is how we wind up getting into a big government type of situation, I think. And I'm not saying what's wrong or right here, but I think that's how we get into it, right? Because, yeah, because people be, always, yeah, that, that 47, Mitt Romney's 47% of people who are dependent on government, right? Yeah. <laughs> who will never vote against it. Yeah. But there's always those people who abdicate all of this. To someone else because it's just easier to do that. Like, why should I do? Why should I do that if I don't have to do it? You know, I think that's just the situation that we're in all the time, and and I think that's how we wind up in all of these things. That's why we're here right now in in this situation that we're in. Look, we're talking about the two party system, right? That's the conversation we always have when if we have like you're a libertarian, okay? Everyone out there would agree. The two-party system is horrible. I would agree with that. Most of the people, if you disagree with it, if you think two-party system's awesome, let us know right now. <clears throat> the problem is, is whenever we come down to this, people always wind up going, like the majority of people are going to go to the polls and go for one party or the other. Yeah. Right? Why? How come no one wants to go down the middle and do that hard work? How come we all just revert back to like, okay, I'm... I'm kind of conservative, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go with the Republican Party. You know what? I'm kind of liberal. I want free everything. Every people should just get paid $5,000 a month. I'm going to go over here to this party because it's kind of hard work what you're talking Law about. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, that's an important. So this hopefully this can turn it back to the bigger challenge that I think everybody who's listening right now to some degree is engaged in, which is how, how do we change things? Right. Yeah. And there is this problem of resignation. And I think as a capitalist, as, as libertarians you know, who understand economics, we understand what specialization of labor is. Right. That society got awesome because we didn't all have to hunt and gather that some of us got so good at hunting and gathering that we could support people, you know, making computers and, and, and Internet porn and, and you know, cigars and. <laughs> You know, all these other things that we enjoy. And more internet porn. And, and <laughs> lots and cannabis. lots of internet yeah. porn. Other things, yeah, but like, mostly well, that. Mostly but, yeah. that. Because, yeah, because honestly, nobody would watch any of uh, the three of us doing internet porn. Well, I mean, the people that would, yeah. I don't know if I want What are you talking about? I'm sure someone, someone would watch me. I, could, I think I would be pretty entertaining in that. <laughs> yeah, don't tempt me to answer that question. Yes, I don't even want you to. Oh my I, God. I am glad. I am glad that specialization of labor is a thing. We <laughs> don't have to. So, so in that sense, 
there's there's a certain responsibility that we have as the three percent, as the people who see the bigger picture, say, then there's specialization of leadership. We don't and see, so this is a, one of the big fallacies that, that libertarians, including myself, typically engage with. I used to, 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 to engage in this was we have to wake everybody up. We have to get everybody to understand our philosophy and economics and politics and, and ethics. And we have to get them to understand that freedom and localization and less government and ultimately voluntary or no government is, is better. And like, no, you don't. Because the Democrats and Republicans don't do that. And if you think about this, you go to a, a regular party, general population, how many people there will actively engage with you and argue with you politically, like in a friendly way, but like from how many are passionate and informed and, and, and opinionated liberals or conservatives at most like one in 10, right? At, at very, very most. And I what think, I mean, I by think this, that's based on timing. I think if you go back hold, to the eighties that I was, okay. this is a side point. You'll mm -hmm. see where I'm going with this. Okay. That, that it, so it, the intellectual base, of the Democrats and Republicans in the general population of liberals and conservatives who are passionate and intelligent and reasonably informed is less than one in 10. Most Americans are like, yeah, whatever, I'm kind of liberal or I'm kind of, they're very low information voters. And as libertarians or as the 3% who want to see fundamental change, I think we're more like one or 2%, by the way. And we have to get to like 10% and find a way to then be, beat their 10% in building an electoral majority. And in order to do that, we need to simplify the message. It cannot be, well, you have to study the Federal Reserve System and you have to read all these textbooks on economics and you have to understand the, con no, you, none of that. Localization, 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 everybody gets what they want. Localization, 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 Whatever you want from government, you'll get more of it when it's localized. Localization, localization, localization. Government at the community level is more customized, more accountable, more transparent, more aligned with your needs and your values. And if we can get it that simple and we can build a movement around localization, then we can show all of the followers without saying, you need to be a leader and you need to learn. No, just it's OK. And I tell I, I love putting people on the spot. You guys are wearing two very nice T-shirts. Did, did, did you design those T-shirts? Uh, no, this did, one I didn't design. This is from uh, Ammo Company. Did, did you design the cut of the T-shirt? Did you figure out what the do you know what the fabric is? Did you even know where it was made? So you see, if you were if you were interviewing me about fashion and design, I what a bunch of sheeple you are. What a bunch of followers, <laughs> you know. And it sounds ridiculous when I put it in that context, but that's what we do in politics. We mm -hmm. have to change that attitude to say, let's make it easy for people. Be a libertarian. It's about localization. It's about you do whatever you want. We still we want to take care of everybody. We want everybody to be happy and safe and, and, and have government localized and, and not violent and customized and transparent and accountable. Use, you look at what Republicans and Democrats do that works. You know, it's these just just general positive buzzwords that show the positivity of your policy. We're going to win because we have the truth backing us up. We're going to win eventually, but we have to nail the messaging. It has to be about localization. Okay. And this is why I'm running and why I think it's so important for the libertarian nominee to be someone who has this kind of unifying message that's easy for everybody to get. Okay, hold on. So first of all, let me do a couple <laughs> things here. 
Um, one, everyone out there, smash the thumbs ups. Two, I'm gonna take some. Uh, I'm gonna take some questions and comments from people right now. Three, I'm gonna say the only way to change all of this um, basically is gonna be a military dictatorship. You're gonna have to take over the country. You're gonna have to do it. You're gonna uh, have, the opposite. Uh, the opposite. The opposite. Uh, it has uh, to be the opposite. No, I Government think you got to the revolution. We, we have to do what you were talking about before, man. We got to roll up. We got to roll mm. up on these dudes. Take over. <laughs> That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Otherwise, we'll be doing this for a long time, man. We'll be trying to build this. Everyone saying that we need a third party or something like that, or a fourth or a fifth party, and then really all we have is one party or the other party. It's going to be very difficult. But hold on, hold on a second, Adam, before you get to that. Hold on, I need to respond exactly uh -huh. that. I promise you. Okay. That if you go and shoot Donald Trump. No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, who then? Who then? It's going <laughs> to be not... fine. Where are you going to, are you going to apply your? I say, if you're going to be violent. Only shoot the politicians. Don't shoot anybody else. Um, okay, listen. We'll come back to this here in a second. Um, so Vanessa Kitty has a question. She says she wants to know if you served in the military. That's from Vanessa Kitty. Um, and Night Train says, uh, we'll get to her in a second here. Night Train says, in the end, people vote jobs. So that's what he's saying about the people. That's mostly what people think about. Like, they're concerned. Do they have a job? You know, can they can can they get some money and pay for the stuff that they want? But Vanessa Kitty wants to know whether or not you served in the military. So let's cover that. Yeah. And then we'll get then we'll go back to my military coup idea. I served bankers, politicians, and war profiteers as a United States Marine and volunteered and was promoted to sergeant in Fallujah in 2004. And when I got out, I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War and have since learned that militarism itself is inherently anti-freedom, that militarism is a cancer on the warrior class. And the sooner we get rid of it, the better off we'll be. As for the other question about jobs, I think we see the biggest job-killing policies coming from the big, corrupt, centralized federal government. We get rid of that. Obviously, we have more economic opportunity. But what I want to do at a bigger level when the issue of jobs comes up is really turn this whole thing on its head. The goal of 100% employment is ridiculous. What they want is 100% wage slavery. The goal should not be 100% employment. The goal should be 100% retirement so that work is optional. Everybody should have that wealth of generations that we have already built up as humanity that is being stolen from us. Look at just the inheritance tax. Look at all of the land, $2 trillion worth that the federal government owns in the Western states, right? Half of the landmass west of the Mississippi. We take that back. We take back our birthright. I don't want UBI. I don't want an allowance. I don't even want a job that I depend on to get what I need to survive. I want my birthright back. I want my inheritance. I want to be wealthy enough that I am an entrepreneur and that work is optional. And me, for me personally, I've already achieved that. Uh, you know, I, I have four different small businesses and, 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 and I'm able to operate you know, I, I'm my own boss. I, I, I don't, you know, I have commitments to people that I make like, you know, Hey, I'm going to be on your show. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be here for your interview on time. You're my boss for two hours, right? Cause I volunteered. It's part of what I'm doing here. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I set my own hours. I agree to this. I, I want 
every American to have that. That's where we should be. And we are at that point technologically and in terms of productivity that just based on what your parents have built, what our prior generations have built up for us, you know, we talk about the freeloader problem in a sense. We're at that point where if it wasn't for government, you could work for one year and support yourself for the rest of your life living comfortably. And if you think about it, in a sense, we're already there. You know, if you wanted to live really, really cheap, if you wanted to work for one year and make as much money as you could and you saved and invested properly, you could retire and you could live at least for a few decades. I know this is like at at the outer limit, but if you decided, if you were really serious about this, even today, and you committed, I'm going to work as absolutely hard as I can for a year. I'm going to live as cheap as I can for a year. And everything I make, I'm going to save and I'm going to invest. And then I'm going to try to retire. If you were a porn, if you were a porn star like uh, Babyface P wants to do, for sure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. No, 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 yeah. I, I, I think it's a kind of competitive market there. I don't think it pays as much as it used to. Let me, okay, hold on. So let me, uh, Bruce Ludman has this question. He says, ask him if he likes turtles, yes or no answer. That's from Bruce Ludman. I like turtles. There you go. Like Boom. Turtles. Boom. That's not a yes or no answer. You have to quote <laughs> the, the originator. I, I like turtles. Okay, there you go. Uh, John Voorhees says it was disturbing to hear me uh, to hear me say uh, I guess he's talking about my uh, taking over the government military coup. Here, here's the reason why I say that, right? This whole coronavirus thing proves something to me that I've known for a long time. What most human beings respond to is fear. That's what the media is doing. That's what the government's doing. That's what everyone does. That's what the police departments do. That's what everyone does. Everyone responds to fear. No one pays any attention until they're in, a, in fear mode. No one wants to do anything about what's going on until they're in fear mode, right? We're talking about, you know, first of all, we've always had viruses and things like that. We will always have them. It comes along with being a human being, okay? But when, why, why are we in this position now where the government for over a month now has, like, everything's been locked down. People are home. The kids are home. All kinds of craziness is going on. Why? Fear. Pure and simple. That's what most human beings act on. I'm sure in your time when when you served in the military and you were overseas, you saw that, right? Yeah. That's what people respond to. So if we really, really want the shortcut to fixing this, that's the shortcut. The long way, the long way is is what we've been trying to do here. That we're trapped right. in this two-party system in America. None of these people on either side really care about us. Uh, one thing I would agree with you on, if we didn't have this right now, we would be dealing with Trump taking more, like doing more gun control to take guns away from us. That's what we would have. Regardless of the fact he's out there like, oh, these guys are attacking the Second Amendment. He was up to that before we got into this. Okay, now, so I got, I, got two, I got two big questions for you then, mm-hmm. I, if, if you don't mind me put it, putting it back to your plan here. Mm-hmm. One, what does your military coup look like? And two, how do you prevent the people in charge from making the government more afraid of us than of them and get them to support the government and the military? Uh, I'm, ju- I'm, just talk- I'm just talking hypothetically here, but basically, you know, uh, I, my, what it looks like to me is I have all the nuclear weapons. I got all that stuff. So you, you're saying somebody has yeah. to take over the nuclear arsenal and then yeah, threaten whatever, the federal what, government to whatever, go away. Whatever it is that we think that we need this big, massive government for, what do they have? What do they have? Why do we, why are we functioning with what the government says? 
If they shut everything down, why are we doing it? What is it we're worried about? What are we afraid of? What's motivating dying. us? <laughs> literally, we're, people yeah, are afraid of that's, dying. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. literally it. That's, that's, that is the function of human beings. I'm not saying I really want that. That's not, that's not why I live here. Right? Also, I live in maybe, America maybe, by maybe choice. This is, so wait, wait, maybe this is the opportunity of coronavirus. Because one of the things that I'm, I'm glad is, is a central question to the conversation right now is, is the cure worse than the disease? And if we can literally yes. show people government killed more people than the virus and it won't we won't be able to do this for at least a couple of months. Right. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm thinking, like statistically, when we see the death, we are able to look at the sort of the death tolls in. Do in you think, perspective. OK, do you think the government's really going to show us what happened here in a couple of months? No, but they're who, not going to be able that? to hide it. I, don't, I, I think they're not going to be able to hide it effectively. And we're going to be maybe maybe we need the rally. We need everybody in independent media to unify on the same message. And I say, don't Look, feel like we're going to know was worse than the disease. Yeah, I don't. Feel, I agree with you. I think a lot of us can already see this. We don't need a couple of months. Right. I feel a lot of us sure. can already see this, but I don't feel like a couple of months no, no, from no, now no, they're going to no, explain no, what, this to us. No, no, no. But in a couple of months, what we will have is the undeniable hindsight. Like right now, I mean, I still have people sending me articles from like three weeks ago that say mm -hmm. the death toll in America is going to be 2.2 million. And then I was right. like, no, dude, the day after that, they said it was like 200,000 absolute tops. And now and then it came down again to like 60,000. Yeah. What and are we at? What, what's what's right. at, what do but we think our numbers are right now? What is it? 40,000? What's the. What is the count in America? Do the, we know? They're, they're all nonsense. The numbers, yeah. like you have, you have to read between the but lines are, for but, all the numbers. And, and are but, we going mean, did you? Wait, wait, did you hear about, about the numbers? First mm -hmm. of all, you know that eighty-six point three four nine seven five two percent of all statistics are bullshit made up <laughs> to manipulate you. And second, the, my favorite coronavirus case. There was a case. I don't know if you guys heard about this. There was a guy skydiving, and his parachute didn't open. And right before he hit the ground, he died from coronavirus. So, you know. <laughs> right, right. But listen, but Adam, look, we had this thing that happened in Vegas a couple of years ago, right? We had this thing. Never the shooting. We'll yeah. never know. We had this thing. And unfortunately, there was, a, there was a, a shooting that just happened in Nova Scotia, right? But we had this thing that happened in Vegas a couple of years ago. We, uh, Vegas has so many cameras. Everywhere there's cameras, right? If you're in the yep. lobby, if you're outside of the oh, building, yeah. you're in the elevator, yep. you're walking down the hallway. So many cameras in Vegas, and we will never freaking know what happened in Las Vegas. What makes us think we're going to know what happened here? Because Be Beyond no, what okay, we so already no, know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, right. For those of us right now who have taken the time to read between the lines and to think through the statistics and to, to question what we're being told, yes, it's already obvious. But mm -hmm. we have to deal with those low information voters still, and they don't have it yet. And they are only going to have it when it's clear in the statistics in hindsight. And yes, the Democrats and Republicans will try to muddle the numbers forever. And they will all say, well, because we locked the country down, we saved the death toll. It could have been 2.2 million, but it was only 40,000 because government came in and heroically saved everybody. We have the same yeah. death toll that we would have had anyway. 
they're going to try to do that. But what will be undeniable eventually when we tease this out, like uh, Ron Paul pointed out, that you're going to see a dip in the number of pneumonia deaths concurrent with the rise of corona deaths because they're just counting pneumonia deaths as corona deaths that they're tested. Like there's so many things like that. How, you, do you know how many people die every day in the United States? Um, every day? I don't know what the number yeah. is every day. I'm assuming we're probably looking at 40,000, 50,000. I don't know. I'm guessing. Oh, okay. So, no, but 330 million, our turnover is 7,500 dead every day, 12,000 okay. new okay. births. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's, and there's this pretty even line, you know, and it goes up just slightly with the population. This is mm -hmm. how many people die every day in the United States. And in hindsight, you're just going to you're going to be able to like right now, you can't do this. You can't tease this out. But when you see, hey, over the course of mid 2019 to all the way through mid 2020, that line was more or less flat. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there was like there was this tiny little surge and you're going to like means are going to be able to communicate this to low information voters very efficiently. Like, look, this was the amount like, and, and, and you can't do it now. Yeah, you're but, only going to be able to do this with a couple months statistical hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> so, by the way, uh, average Joe Tube is mad at me. What does he say? Really, Hank? That's the post you picked of all my priors or whatever. Uh, so, shout out to real to average Joe Tube. Shout out to him. Um, I don't know if you know who that is, but that's Joe. Yeah. Wait. Joe, is that Joe with American Gunship? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> um, listen, you know what the funny thing is? Regardless, here, here's what I could tell. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I get into my time machine, my prediction mode, use my special magical powers, and tell you guys. In a couple of months, here's what's gonna happen. Everyone will forget about this. People will move on. We will even either have freaking Joe Biden as president or Donald Trump as president, this is what is going to happen. I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm not saying I'm happy about it, right? But the problem that we have is that if people aren't, if they don't get the shit scared out of them, they don't act. And when we keep, when, like for us, because I think we all agree on this, we all hate the two-party system in America because it sucks, right? And we can't trust any of these people who put on the moniker of, of politicians. You know, but but human beings, the, we, we're we're here depending for for most of people, the general population, to come to some consensus, and ultimately they're not going to do that. You know, they're going to get over it. They're, everyone's just going to kiss their ass and think, "Oh my God, I'm still alive." Yes, some people are dead. Um, and let me let me go back to the remake of the Game of Thrones or whatever yeah. the hell it is that entertains us. So, you know, that's the thing to me about the bread and circuses. People will get over this. They won't care about the statistics and all these things that happened. Everyone's going to go right back. A lot of these people out there buying guns will go cash them in or whatever the hell and just go right back to all this nonsense all over again, and it'll be one party or the other party, and we won't get these things fixed, and we won't get the stuff that should be uh, decentralized ever. We won't get it decentralized. So I think it's very wise to point out that by and large, yes, people want to go back to their comfortable lives. And that's mm -hmm. the tendency that we've seen in crises like this 
and worse than this H1N1, SARS, mm -hmm. even if you want to compare it to terrorist attacks or false flags like 9-11, you know, oh my God, the world's going to change because of terror. Well, as much as possible, we've kind of gone back to our lives and we've put up with the TSA. I, th I think you're right. You know, maybe we go back to our lives, but we put up with social distancing in, in some weird way. And we accept that this $6 trillion got stolen from yeah. us. And but, from now yeah. on, they have license that whenever they're ready, they can go, oh, by the way, we got this virus. Yes. Your ass yes, can't move around have, unless we let you move yeah, around. That, and that's what scares me is that they, if, if this is more of a deliberate conspiracy than just a feeding frenzy of fear, they have a template that they can replicate. But what I wanted to ask you then is uh, like a follow-up to that, Hank, in the, in the, in the longer term, how do you make people more afraid of government than of freedom? And I think that happens naturally over time. And so to your inclination to say, let's have a violent revolution or let's have some kind of coup or some kind of conflict, I think that sets us back. I think that makes people more afraid of freedom. It associates the struggle for freedom, not with peaceful progress. Like we should, we should make it clear that freedom is about peaceful progress, and that government is about violently holding yeah. us back. I don't, I don't, I, would, I, would I don't really. But listen, listen. Thing. I don't really think I wanted that. Uh, what I'm saying to you is how we got that here. That might in, be the only way. How we got? Yeah, it might be the only way. Because how do we get here in America? Okay, our forefathers, they fought. They won, they won this victory. They try to make something pure. But from the very beginning, as you said, people started corrupting it. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's this like vicious cycle that we're trapped in. And it doesn't seem like we're going to very peacefully change anything. And all we get is like the ping pong between these two parties that we get is fear gets used this way or that way. And ultimately, people just like right now, a lot of people in America are living in fear. I think when they when they do the polls, I was reading a poll today that most people want us to stay in lockdown. We mm -hmm. think most people in America want out of this. Right. Mm hmm. No, it's, you're, you're right. Well, most, yeah, there's some very disturbing polls about that. That's what most people want. Support to go yeah. along with it. That's where we're trapped. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether or not like how everyone else sees it, sees it. But I see it like most human beings are in the middle. I think someone said before, what do they want? They want a job. They want their home. They want their nice car, whatever the things like, you know, we I think we're all into that. Right. Right. And, most people just want that and they're not willing to do anything radical or give up anything to change what's going on. And, then, and when fear moments like this happen, they actually just go, oh my God, I really, really appreciate all the shit I had. And they're just praying that they could go back to normal. Right. You know, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's almost, that is, that is the challenge. Yeah. So are you going to do it with this show? I no. mean, you're going to, you're going to like, is this, this is your answer, though. I mean, you're back to what you're, are you are. You are you building an army out of an audience that you're waiting to activate, or are you hoping that eventually waking people up slowly but surely is, is going to have I mean, an what, impact? What I'm trying to do is like that's the reason why like I enjoy the conversation that we have. I know some people think we're crazy. They think you're crazy. I'm crazy. Maybe they think like Patrick is the only sane one here that's a scary thought i don't think they be. i don't think mm. they know i don't think they freaking know him if they think mm -mm. he's the only sane one but you know i think like having the i think having the conversation first of all helps us all right because we're kind yeah. of like the, 
us here and the people listening to us, we're kind of on the same wavelength. We all have our differences. I know some people will be like, hey, I'm nothing like Hank or nothing like Adam mm. or, or Babyface. But I think that it kind of helps us to talk these things out and see it. But I think we need something radical to happen. I wish it wasn't like that. But I think people need something radical to happen to get them to change. But mostly when people get in trouble, like you, you've probably seen this before. Everything in your life is is going on. Like you, you have a job, you have all this stuff, you're kind of bored, you kind of hate it. Then something crazy happens to you, right? And you say, oh, if I could, God, if I could just survive this. <laughs> I'll be nicer yeah. to my wife. I'll be nicer to my children. Mm-hmm. I'll be better on my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you survive it, man, you go back to work. You're all nice to everyone for a couple of weeks. And you're back to your old habits. <laughs> then boom. It's, there's something wrong with us. It's like we want to be led. You know, we want to be led. I, I just, well, when it's just it comes weird, to man. t-shirt design, apparently you want to be led too. See, back to that specialization of leadership, you know, Mm -hmm. specialization of labor, thinking about it that way, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, then then maybe the answer is we keep talking until the next crisis hits. Like, because let's say after let's use 9-11 as a proxy, right? Like was was 9-11, at least in my life, you know, I'm I'm just just off the top of my head. Has has there been any other moment in, in our lifetimes of 38 in the United States where there has been a overwhelming shift towards fear or a awareness of a whole new fear that, that sort of reoriented society. I mean, 9-11 and coronaphobia seem Brilliant. like the two big ones, right? Um, yeah, Patrick, uh, w- no. Because people weren't really that scared in the crash of 2008, were they? No. Uh, mm, I don't... Go- uh, d- Hank, do you remember... Um, I was too young. Um, Y2K very well. Yes, I do actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I was I was in like elementary school. Yeah. So. Y2K was scary to people for about a week or two weeks, and then it just yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. That wasn't. I don't think that's there. there that, that could be in a broader people, category. People just panic. Like I remember, I was living in New Jersey at the time from nineteen going over from nineteen ninety nine into two thousand. People just panicked for that, like, 40, 24, 48 hours. And, and, then, it wasn't, yeah. and it wasn't, like, panic, yeah. like, people were burning stuff down or anything like that. People, believe it or not, a whole bunch of people went out and bought all the groceries. Yeah, I was hoarding. Hoarding was the, the Y2K. Why, why do we turn to that? That is, like, <laughs> when know. something's because going crazy. Because most of us know that we're food insecure and only have three days' worth of food at home. It's Probably. true. It's absolutely true. I have, like... 48 hours worth of food in my house. <laughs> uh, That's so crazy. I got crazy. a few cases of MREs and I'm almost at food independence at my place. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, got, I don't I got, shop I that way. I have an air gun, I have a BB gun, and I have rabbit <laughs> everywhere. I can live forever. <laughs> yeah, I can eat for, di- for, yeah. for This years. is probably worse. Uh, let me see. I don't know. People out there could tell us. Tell us what you think. I think people are reacting to this worse than 9-11. And I remember I was living in New Jersey uh, 9-11, but I mean, my, most of my family was still in New York, so I was commuting back and forward. And I grew up in New York City. That was the only, like, in my life, I never thought I would be going over a bridge or a tunnel into New York City and there would literally be tanks and soldiers at every bridge and tunnel. But really? I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a different fear, but my point is that, that can we like can we learn from this, right? In that uh, 
you know, if, if within our lifetimes, 9-11 and coronaphobia are, are the two big examples of America being gripped with fear, or overwhelmed with fear or fear dominating the conversation and dominating our lives, then like, did, you know, what did we learn? You know, did, did, did we learn that whether or not 9-11 was like, and, and I'm, I'm still a little bit agnostic on this, but like how inside of a job was, we know 9-11 was, was a manipulated event. To what degree, we don't know. Was it an inside job? Was it an outside job? Let it happen on purpose, made it happen, who knows? But obviously whatever it was, the worst that it was, was still not an excuse to invade and occupy Iraq and Afghanistan for decades, right? Did we learn that? Can we l apply that to coronaphobia? Is there a decent chunk of the general population going, okay, even if corona is as bad as they say it is, it doesn't justify shutting down the economy and $6 trillion of liquidity. Does it justify, you know, can we, have we learned, have we progressed? And if we can say that we have, I'd like to think we have, because you know what? 9-11 killed the Libertarian Party. We were on a really steady growth period until then, and just the rally around the leaders effect just kind of just stalled all of that momentum we've been rebuilding since then. Coronaphobia hasn't really done that. It's not like coronaphobia is scaring Americans into abandoning the Libertarian Party, and if anything, people are more pissed off at the leadership than having a rally around the leader effect. Even... Even though the majority say we should stay in lockdown, I think a lot of them are still very pissed off about something about the lockdown that doesn't make sense, that is obviously a criminal part of government. So I'd say, yeah, maybe it's that, Hank, maybe to, maybe it's, it's both of our you know, things together, and it's not necessarily a violent revolution. And by the way, I wanted to challenge you on that historically. Nonviolent revolutions are more successful than violent revolutions they're more inclusive and they're more sustainable that's always the impact of, of a non-violent versus no. a violent revolution uh, okay first of all you're gonna have to explain what? to me when we had we a non-violent revolution because i don't know who when oh, what, so what was a what's an example of a non-violent revolution uh, well, every government that's ever changed w without a war has been a non-violent revolution when does that happen uh, well, the Magna Carta getting to, you know, it will be considered a revolution of political power in Great Britain. Um, in the United States, you, I don't think we've had one that would qualify by this def definition. I remember looking into this for my show a long time ago. There's a great article that did the historical analysis. Yeah. Uh, mostly in South America, there have been a number of governments that have, uh, have, have turned over with limited okay. violence. You know, and, and even uh, in the United States, you could say that the American Revolution... Well, uh, there, there was South America is a mess, man. I was but, born in South America, yeah. so yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, born yeah. in but, Guyana. But, Guy but, Guyana, but do, you know, do, it's a mess. Do, you do the overall historical analysis, mm -hmm. nonviolent revolutions, more successful and more sustainable on the whole. I, I would think there was probably some threat of violence somewhere along the way. Oh, Gandhi, yeah. Gandhi, uh, oh. throwing the <laughs> out of India. There, there was a there was a revolution that had a little bit of a threat of violence behind it that is kind of written out of history, yeah. but yeah. Um, there's an example, right? Mm -hmm. um, as, as a major revolution, you know, was the, the, the Indians got Britain to leave India without as much violence as the Americans got Britain to leave the American, uh, um, the American colony. I think that I so, think the British chose to leave India. Just saying. There, well, I think the British chose to leave. The, in. So, so for example, like I was born in Guyana, 
and and Guyana supposedly had um, what you're talking about, a nonviolent thing. Basically, England, you know, conquered most of the world at some point, and they got all the most of the resources at that time that they wanted out of those places. And then they realized, hold on, wait a second, we have this empire where all these people in India or any of our colonies in Guyana, Jamaica, wherever wherever you you want to talk about, they could just come to England all they want to. You know, they could just come here and do whatever they want to do. We don't want to be responsible for them. Cut them off out of xenophobia. Yeah, they they said, hey, you know what? You guys want to be free. Okay, I want to get back to the bigger point, or to the challenge of this collaborative conversation here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you say, like, there has to be a moment, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe it means that we just keep built, like, so if, let's say, after 9-11, you know, 10% of the population questioned the government narrative right away, right? I was not one of them. I was not a, a, a skeptic at that point. Uh, is that, when you, say, is that when you got into the military or you got, you know, you, you I was got already in. in, I was in before okay. 9-11, yeah, just okay. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, let's, let's say 10% of the population watched 9-11 happen and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and were like, nah, this is bullshit, right? And maybe now with coronaphobia, 20% of the population looks at it and goes, ah, this is bullshit. Maybe when the next crisis comes, it's going to be 30% of the population that goes, eh, this is bullshit. And in the meantime, people like you and me keep building up that critical mass of skeptics. And then maybe with with one crisis, they finally go too far, and it's 51% that goes, this is bullshit, and we can at least have the electoral revolution. By getting 51% of the people in America to, to say, hey, you know what, this is enough? Yeah. Let's okay. get rid of the federal for starters. Yeah, or I something d- similar to reorganize the system. Do you do you do you see that we're anywhere approaching like fifty one percent of the people in America going? Um, well, what what are the? You tell me. What were the? I, I remember seeing this poll a couple of weeks ago that said it was it was like two thirds of Americans still support the lockdown. Or, but it was it was you know if it was if it was only two thirds supporting the lockdown, well. Shit, it was way more than that that supported Bush invading Iraq. Yeah, I think I think we have to see people get really mad. You know, now believe it or not, I'm a pacifist, but I'm a pacifist that believes in violence, <laughs> defensive violence, and righteous violence. Right. Well, let yeah. me hold on. I, we've only got ten minutes. We've only got ten minutes left. This is a mm-hmm. really important question for a conversation. Mm-hmm. If Babyface or, or someone from the audience can get a comparison currently, right now. How many people, how many Americans, or what's the latest polling, how many Americans support the lockdown versus, say, March 2003, before the March 19 invasion of Iraq, how many people supported Bush invading Iraq? Hmm. It, it, it might have it, and it's not an apples and apples comparison. Yeah, no. Also, like I think after 9-11, we should I, I think after 9-11, we should have just glassed um, Afghanistan, personally, <laughs> in my opinion. Seriously. Well, Afghanistan wasn't the problem. It was the Saudis so. that paid for it. Well, we should just glass them. If we prove it, glass them. Well, we know it, but. Well, who's them? You whoever, kill the entire population of a country of innocent people? Really? Same. Th- so like, you're saying if you're this, saying if Japan this, sort of killed every American after the nukes. Hey, ultimately, ultimately, the world that we live in—that's what it comes down to. No, 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 no. 
peaceful relationships beat out non or beat how out do we, violence. How do we stop the Japanese? Marks how do we stop them in the, in World War II? It was terrible. It was a terrible thing that we had to do. But ultimately, well, you know, how do you stop people? You know, the nukes were unnecessary, right? Militarily, most of the commanders in the Pacific Theater at the time believed that nu dropping nuclear weapons on Japan was tactically unnecessary to win the war, that they were already on the retreat and on the verge of economic collapse. The, the, the death of, of those hundreds of thousands of innocent people was absolutely unjustified, both militarily and ethically. I think a lot of the leaders in Japan were willing to commit suicide before, you know, and, and take out more and more people before they just say, hey, hey this is a war. You well, know, I'm, I'm, all, I, I, I'm all for legalized suicide. The more politicians who commit suicide, the better <laughs> off we are. Did you come up with a number for this? I there's yeah. a poll from Newsweek that said 70 percent of, of Americans prefer quarantine. Uh, this was as of how many? Wait, wait, hold on, say that. This again. was a month ago. This was a month ago. This is too old. Yeah, 37 percent, 70, 70, 70. That fair comparison to how many people supported the invasion of Iraq. Yeah, let's see what. Uh, yeah, before the invasion. Invasion yeah. supports. Jamie, pull that up. Uh, you see that video, Jamie? <laughs> Average Joe is mad at me. He said glassing over a whole country is equivalent to Hitler talk. You got to spank um, people. I'm sorry. Uh, you got to spank ABC, them hard. An ABC News Washington poll, uh, Washington Post poll taken at, uh, after the beginning of the war showed 62%. No, no, before the war. Before. It has to be before the invasion of Iraq. When was the invasion? Be, Do you remember? No, but, it should, but it should be. To be fair, in the comparison, should be how many Americans supported the invasion of, of Afghanistan right after 72%. 72%. At the so very similar. top was about 72%. And then there was a steady decline uh, going into February of the year. So 72% was the highest support there ever was for invasion, invading Afghanistan? So that's what this public attitudes towards the war in Iraq, 2003 to 2008. No, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, I take back what I said. Iraq is not the appropriate comparison here because the fear was connected to Afghanistan. It should be how many Amer what percentage of the population supported the invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11. So, Joe. Joe's watching. Yeah, Joe, Joe would probably know this. He would, he would probably know this if you could tell us, Joe. Listen, I don't know if we needed to invade anywhere. I think that if you can identify where things came from. Yes, exactly. You, you knock out. You, you, yeah, if you can identify where those things come from, you knock out those people decisively. It's one of the problems that we have. You know, there's but do you we, we trust have, government to figure that out. We're, we're like creating our own enemy. No, I don't. Ultimately, I don't. Obviously not. I mean, we're creating our own enemies. Then they get too big to handle. You know, then 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 we instead of handling it surgically, we do something that takes the life of who takes a lot of lives out of the people who that we that we have in our society that are the bravest people that decide oh i'm gonna go join the military and go over here and 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 fight and die for something that i don't necessarily understand i get that but that's just how we're choosing to deal with problems when we have an ability to not deal with it that way should we be there in the first place you know should we have like fostered you know um the the, the folks in afghanistan because we wanted them to fight against the russians and then, and then when we made a deal with the Russians, we abandoned you gotta, them. And yeah. then, you know, I mean, it keeps flipping on us. Something younger people don't understand is the Mujis were our friends back when the Russians were there, and then were our enemies yeah. when when we decided now we yeah. want to be there. Yeah. yeah, all the things that we're doing are creating problems. We, 
we. Hold on. Who's no, this government, we? The government. Yeah. But who's the we government. then? Who's the we? Is, is it, so the government's just doing it and we're just letting their own remote control? Well, because I ultimately just, we I, have to take the responsibility for the crap they do. They're not they're no, not stronger than no, us. No, no, a rape victim is not responsible for what the rapist does. That is not fair at all. Yeah, but we I don't know, but this is not victims. the same. But but what yeah, what is the plan? We're what being is the, raped by so, the government. So so if we if they are if they're kings, if they're kings over us. So are they kings over us or do we elect them? Do we put them there? Or do we have an illusion that we're putting them there? Brian, elections are kind of an illusion. Okay, so we got to break that. We got to break yeah. that. But the, the the way that I would break it, you would say, is just incredibly violent. But we, we have to break <laughs> that at some point, though. Like, we don't, well, we, like we're not actually going to deal with before, stuff. If, if, Hank, I said before, like, if you decide to go the violent route and you go start shooting politicians, I, I will send you ammo. You know, I will, I will be right, I will be, I will be a couple rows back in that and, and still support you, but I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think it's the most productive tactic. And, and, and very seriously, you know, I think if, if what we're committed to is freedom, we have to absolutely be committed to nonviolence as well. And, and that doesn't mean absolute nonviolence, that means the non-aggression principle, that violence yeah. is only So justified. then at some point we have to get mad enough to take some action that equals something other than us just like, you know, Elect mad. somebody to get rid of the federal government. How about that, for starters? <laughs> if, if I thought that was effective, if I thought we could get enough people behind it to actually make it happen, the problem is we got this crazy-ass thing called, like, elections. <laughs> you know? That, that's the thing, right? And we have and to deal Churchill with that. And Churchill said that the greatest argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. Yeah, we have electoral colleges and whatever nonsense, you know, that means. And hanging chads and all kinds of crap. <laughs> you know, all those things get in the way and we don't fix things. It comes back to, like, if you were in your house and you have a problem and you're trying to fix it, if you're the head of household, if you're the husband, if you're the, the father, the mother, whoever it is, right? Not trying right. to be, not trying to make it a sexist, macho thing, <laughs> you know, whatever. But if you're the like, ultimately, it happens to me and my family. I hear people going back and forward. At some point, I have to go. Okay, this is it. I'm making the decision, Solomon. I'm chopping the baby in half. You know, you have to, you have to, like, at some point, make decisions and be decisive. And there's no way you can do that without ultimately some people. Not you know people are gonna get hurt. People are gonna at least get their feelings hurt and stuff like that. But do we want to so actually when, solve so the problem? I crossed, or I, cr I crossed that point. You know, and a lot of people have told me, and I, I believe it's true that I'm more likely to get assassinated than elected in 2020. That doesn't stop me at all. And I, for me, this is that point. I know that my life is again on the line for what I believe in, and I would encourage everybody to engage in this conversation the way that the three of us have and ask yourself, where is that point? Is it starting a show? Is it listening to it? Is it contributing? Is it sharing this? Is it? I hope it's some kind of more involved activism. For me, it's this campaign. Could it be helping me out? If, it, if you don't have the answer for yourself, find someone who does. If you're watching the show because you're a fan of Hank and you think that he has the answers and he has the perspective, then you better passionately share that worldview. Be a passionate, engaged, active member of this audience. Make it possible for his perspective to get out. If you prefer mine, come help me out with Adam versus the man. If you don't like the media but you like the politics, come help me out with the presidential campaign. 
if, if you want people to be armed in inner cities, you know, go help Maj Ture with Black Guns Matter. If you want the Libertarian Party to be strong, go volunteer with your county affiliate or your state party. You know, get involved, do something, but like, you know, step it up. And I, I think really that's the ultimate conclusion that we're all on the same page here is one way or another, whether it's for the short game or the long game, you know, this is what get life involved. is about. <laughs> get Step involved. it up. Get yeah. involved. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Fight back. Absolutely. You have to do something. I think um, that's the ultimate thing. By the way, if you want me to be president, we got to have a military oh, coup. God. I was not born here. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I naturalized as a citizen. If you want me to run everything. But you might not want that. No, because <laughs> all we would own would be bullpups, and I am not a fan. Oh, I, I, I want a Benjamin Bulldog. That's like my fantasy air rifle, the Benjamin Bulldog. You guys know that bullpup air rifle? Oh, God, no. <laughs> is that is it a bullpup? Oh, God, yeah, yes. I'm a, I'm a felon, and I'm not allowed to own a firearm, but I can own an air gun, and there's now this 357 air gun that you can take out a deer with at 150 yeah. yards. By that's the way, I think that's a travesty that uh, you served your country. And you lost your rights because you you um, because you you fired a, off a, a gun. I didn't. No, I didn't even fire it. You just, just had it. You just had it. Yeah, you yeah. just had it in D.C. That's that's ridiculous. You know, that's a ridiculous thing, man. Uh, and I know that you went into that thinking about it. I'm sure. Maybe not. You maybe I mean, didn't think about it. Well, I knew. No, <laughs> yeah. I knew that was. Just, yeah, bullpups for everyone. Go ahead. <laughs> Yannick Stoner says bullpups for everyone. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah listen adam i totally agree with you man we we hit nine o'clock i do agree with what you were saying i think that you know that's the reason why i like you having you on man we we it seems it might seem to people like we're arguing but we're actually having you know a discussion passionate yeah people need to yeah. be passionate again right you know yeah. let's make america passionate again questions yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know let's do that um so I'm going to wrap it up here. How can the folks out there support you, Adam? That's the big thing. Thank you, brother. My main website is thefreedomline.com. That's all three words, thefreedomline.com. Since I'm, uh, I'm not at my home studio today, I don't have a copy of my book to, hang, to hold up like a good politician, but I have it on the back of my business card. That's it, Freedom. Mm -hmm. You can get it for free at thefreedomline.com. You can find my, uh, my other businesses there outside of politics and activism, Big Igloo Geodesics, and The Garden of Freedom. And you can find my book for free. You can find kokeshforpresident.com. And, uh, you know, again, please share this show, share this episode. If you didn't like me and you like Hank, share some other episodes. Be active, be engaged. And, and make it possible for us to keep having this conversation. Babyface, Hank, and to everybody, and to Joe out there and everybody else asking questions in the live stream, thank you so much for making this possible. We really love it that we have people backing us up because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Uh, Babyface, you want to tell the folks real quick before we get out of here how they could support you? And you obviously, do. whatever. What are you playing? Like Game Boy or something right now? Of course. YouTube.com slash oh. <laughs> BabyfaceP. Yeah. Um, we, uh, videos every Monday, uh, and we're growing like crazy. I've seen crazy growth within the last month. I've 
month and a half, I've gone from 2,000 subs to 3,000 subs. Awesome. We're now at 3,150. It's going pretty, whoop, pretty exponential. So, uh, jump in, jump in now, jump in now, because then you could be like, then you could be like, oh, I what are you a stock was, now? You're I a stock? knew him before he had 100,000 subs. Yeah, we talk all the time. Oh, I see. I um, see. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh-huh. no. Uh, every Monday, 4 a.m. usually is when I put my videos live. So you can check it out at YouTube.com/slash/babyfacep. Yes, awesome. Please do support Patrick. He does a lot to support me, to help me out, you know, and if you guys want to help me, help him. Same thing, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think, you know, Adam, I really appreciate it when you come on, man. You always get everyone fired up, including me. <laughs> the last two hours went by really quickly. I'll yes, so I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, really. Uh, one, one quick thing here. Brian Quick says, tomorrow's my birthday. Whomever wants to gift me a Les Bear 1911, let me know so I can give you... My preferred FFL info. Uh, okay, hopefully that helps you, Brian Quick, even though we're not giving you a less bear. But um, happy birthday to you. We'll be here tomorrow. I did want to tell everyone before we get out of here, go to HankStrange.com. Also, I spent the last couple of days, that's why we were off Thursday and Friday. Uh, I spent Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yesterday getting um, the next How It's Made done. It's on leather carving. So we went to Sam Andrews, Andrews Custom Leather. We did a leather carving video. It's 45 minutes. It's like making a movie. Basically, a lot of my brain cells died on this. So that video is going to go live tonight if it hasn't already. So if you guys want to support me, go check that out. Uh, just stay right there. Let me drop the ending on everyone. Boom, there we go. Make sure you guys subscribe, thumbs up, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. You can also find us on iTunes. We're going to rip out this audio, put it up on iTunes and all the other places so you can listen to Adam. Thanks so much for the support. Thanks so much, Adam, for taking the time. We appreciate it. You're awesome, man. You're awesome. I I, I, I would I would definitely vote for you, but I'm a Republican. What can I say? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> all right. That's it. We're there out of here. There is evil in the world. <laughs> there is. Yes. <laughs> We're out of here. See ya. Peace.